Uh, well, I already off the air told uh, Adasa Lieberman how amazing the book is. Now I get to tell her uh, on the air. The book is called Hadassah, An American Story, written by Hadassah Lieberman. It says here, uh, Hadassah Lieberman has had a rewarding career dedicated to healthcare issues, assisting not-for-profit organizations, improving educational standards, and promoting international understanding with their particular focus on global women's health. I will add two things. Number one, oh, and by the way, it's a Brandeis University Press a publication. I'm sure available everywhere. She'll tell us in a minute. Uh, I will add two things. Uh, number one, uh, she and her husband and family have um, have never made a big deal, yet always made a big deal about being a Shomer Shabbos. And if you get what I mean, and I think my listeners of many years know exactly what I mean, uh, they made a big deal in their own personal lives, but when it came to others and it came to the public forum, they were very understated about everything. Most likely the best way to go about all that. That's number one. And secondly, she would have been an amazing second lady of the United States of America. Hadassah Lieberman, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you so much. It makes me smile to hear your voice and to be back on here. You do such a magnificent program for everyone. Well, I appreciate that very much. I I, I thank you for that very, very much. And you and your husband have been a great inspiration to us here, I can tell you that much, especially with the way you handle yourselves publicly. I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, I mean, the, the first chapter or two of your book frankly mm-hmm. frankly are frightening i mean when you look and you and you and you examine the uh the the difference the different experience that your previous generation had in your family and then the experience that you had in this country my god the difference is immense and and you and you must sit back not just on yamashawa but but you know other times during the year you must sit back and think like, my God, what a miracle it is that I even exist after what your parents went through. Absolutely. And I have to tell you, that was part of the thrill with my in my time with Joe being a United States senator running in a national office. For me to know that my mother was in Auschwitz-Dachau, my father's slave labor camp, and there I was, their daughter being able to stand up strong and talk to people and all the women who, in particular, who came up and the Secret Service guys patrolling around couldn't believe all of them with their arms, you know, their sleeves up to show me their Auschwitz tattoos. It's, it's, that's why my life has been a blend of everything, and I had to write this book for that reason. You know, it's funny. You're, you're a drop familiar with, with my family's history. And, you, you know, the guilt feelings can be, I, I don't want to say, um, uh, you, you know, that they could be crippling. That wouldn't be fair. But 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 they sometimes feel like they schlep along with you, uh, having survived, having, you know, this tremendous transition from what your early life was like as a child and, and what you became. And, and I, and as you know, I could relate somewhat to that. Would you call it guilt? Would you call it baggage? What is it that we're schlepping along with us as we go through this amazing experience in this country? You know, it's memories direct the survivors. 
and indirectly really felt by children and grandchildren. Yeah. I mean, I have grandchildren who feel it. And, you know, life is a process where I always felt my parents simultaneous to those memories and those concerns were always pushing me to go forward, pushing, 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 and then meeting Joe and joining his life and adventures, experiences, challenges made me really focus totally on moving forward. And that's what we have to do simultaneous to remembering. Oh, well, and we'll get to Joe, believe you me. I know it's an important part of the story. It, it sounded in the book like you're a drop frustrated that your mother didn't write more about her experiences in the horror of, of World War II. But frankly, compared to some other families, you're lucky that she wrote as much as she did. I know. I know. And I'm frustrated on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm lucky she even wrote what she wrote. Yeah. And it's somewhat, the whole thing is when I found it, you know, and after her death and had to translate it at the Holocaust Museum because it was written in Czech. And I think it was written in Czech because she must have written it after, after the war. You know, obviously in the 1970, which is amazing. But there's so many things we don't know. Our parents tell us what they can and what they want. And there's a lot of stuff we don't understand. And no one, our friends, people, they don't, if they haven't gone through something similar, they have no idea. And they think it's weird. You know, and I just said, look, I'm going to, my mother in the diary said, I can't write anymore. Now I look to you children. So the only children are me and my brother. Uh, I have so much I want to ask you. If, if you're pressed for time, let me know, because I can imagine you're doing No, no, I made my time for you, because it's been a while, and Joe is saying, oh, how nice. I can imagine. I can imagine how much media you're doing for this because it's such an important work. Um, and then your father's experience uh, again, another horror story, uh, and so many things about your family's history. The Hasidic angle. You're, you're, oh, you're, I know. I mean, my gosh, you're 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 practically a, you're practically a Satmer Hasid. <laughs> and, I know. And then on I know. T- and then on top of that, your father's love of Israel before Israel was was even a you know a a, a dream in someone's eye of being a state. He was um, he was like addicted to Zionism. It, 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 oh. it seemed even his religious life had this Israel component to it. And we would have immigrated from from Europe to Israel right away, but the war was going on, and right. my mother really wasn't sure. She didn't want to do that because of the war. Plus, she was from another part of you know, things in terms of Zionism, right. and the Hashomer Hatzair was right. looked at as, ay, ay. but it's interesting, because we, when I was in New York, City visiting was in Brooklyn actually visiting the um, I think it was the Munkatja Rebbe different people and it's amazing because that's really those are the kinds of things in the Satmar <laughs> Rebbe that my parents emerged out of. I mean, but, when when the Rebbe's hear your family history, they must be th- I'm being serious now. They must be thrilled to meet you because between Munkatja and Satmar, you have a tremendous amount covered there in terms of Hasidic history. I know, but you know what? 
sometimes I think, and that's what I'm afraid of, that some people have become, they've made observance, everything, and, you know, I'm Shomer Shabbat, I'm kosher, all right. those things. That we know, but sure. they're not going in a modern way, some right. progressive. And so sometimes they don't want to get too close to yeah. people that, you know what I mean. Oh, but that's I hear that. another problem, and it's our responsibility to keep pushing forward because, you know. Hadassah anyway, Lieberman. Oh, yes, we know. Hadassah Lieberman's with us. The book is called Hadassah, an American Story. Um, so, it, right. So then your father comes to the United States, and it's funny. I just did a conversation where I, Beryl Wine was, uh, I, I was flattered that he asked that I do one of these video conversations with him. It'll be out in a few weeks. And he pointed out there that if you wanted a job in the rabbinate in the United States in that era, the era when your father came here, you, you likely would went to a conservative congregation. And that's oh, and, and literally your literally your father had that experience up in Massachusetts. Yes. And it was, I mean, here he was, a kid who was a kid with payout, you know, school starting at 5 a.m., yeshiva, sleeping on his uncle's stove, because that's where the yeshiva was, and traveling home for Shabbat for, to his father and mother. And it just was amazing, because all of these kinds of influences on them, and then he found himself going to, you know, the modern world, the university, right. Charles University. And his father wasn't going to give him money because right. that was, you know. Look, these were the things that we've evolved through in Judaism. And by the way, and by the way, just to show how your father understood the university scene, he insisted that his daughter Hadassah not go to Boston University, right? And go to right. and go to Stern College because he didn't want the social scene of the United States for you. He wanted an academic uh, uh, arena that would be, you know, what he felt was appro- right. appropriate for a young Jewish girl. And obviously, Stern being the way it is, it fit perfectly. Oh my goodness! When my father took me into BU, I'll never forget that <laughs> we lived in Massachusetts, and he saw these couches and couples on the couch. He says. I niche for dear. That was it, you know? Not, Not for, for you. <laughs> Not for me. And I was, you know, I had to go. He said, two years must be at Stern, right. and then we'll talk. And then, I thought it was the old-fashioned type, you know. And then you switched, obviously, but I have to imagine, in all seriousness, the, the couple of years you were in Stern College probably left a very strong impact on you for the rest of your oh, life. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, because I had, you know, I had been raised in... Gardner, Massachusetts, a half hour from New Hampshire, and then to go to, you know, more of a Jewish community of, in New York, and to go to Stern College, where everything was very different and lovely, was very important. And my daughter, my little baby, who made Aliyah, and she's there with her five sons, for Hashem. Wow. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. And our, you know, son-in-law. And she went to Stern College, and she, you know, she's the Tichel head, the whole thing, you know? <laughs> you point you point that out in the book. <laughs> by, the time yeah. you, by, the, by the time you get to the youngest kid, she's covering her hair and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's amazing. By, as, 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 as an aside, have you seen them in the last year or not? Yes, 
Thank God. Thank God is right. had some stuff to do. We just went and just came back quickly. And, yeah, thank God. Yeah, she's good. And, well, they're real. They're ardent Zionists. What city city does she live in? She's in Yerushalayim now. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that now, was, it's amazing. Now you talk about some of your struggles. Um, you know, you reveal the fact that you're a breast cancer survivor. Uh, many people didn't realize that Joe was not your first husband. You divorced your first husband. In the context of your family's history, and by the way, I may be wrong. I may not play a role at all in this. But when you go and and people out there, obviously there are people out there who who've been through the situation, understand the pain of divorce. Especially you had a child already at that point, makes things even more complicated. Does the family history make things like that, which are you know not life and death situations, easier to deal with, or are, are they always complicated? You sort of describe the divorce as like you know difficult to get through, but because you had a lot of cooperation around you, it made things easier. Well, that was how I eventually got myself to feel. But divorce is very, very difficult, and people shouldn't be have any naive notions that it isn't. And you have to work hard. And particularly when you want, you have children and you want to take on a spouse's children and you want them to feel they're loved and they're bonded. And, you know, I, I talk about it in the book. We never did the step word for our children. Right. And that was the deal. You know, I would never have married a man who couldn't totally love my son. Not only and, that, I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah, but not only that, yeah, no. you, you made a point of, of not speaking ever in derogatory terms about anybody on the other side of the family and insisted on that from your children and, and everybody. And obviously, everyone knows on paper it's hard to do sometimes, but on paper, that's the best approach. You have to do it. You have to respect your children's parents. Even if you have not birthed those children, right. their mother or their father is it's critical yeah. to accept them. Hadass, Hadassah Lieberman's with us. Now, when one, in your situation, I don't know how old you were at the time of the divorce, but very often you might be, you know, someone in your situation might say, am I ever going to find happiness? How soon after the divorce do you meet Joe? Well, I, you know, to think about all these dates. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you Joe give, and you I give, got yeah. married at 83, right. and... Um, I separated earlier from my former and wasn't too long after, but it was because a girlfriend of mine um, who I had gone to Stern College with said, gee, Hadassah, I want to introduce you to someone. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I have no idea because she was up in New Haven, Connecticut. And I was in Riverdale at that point, And she said, He's a nice man. He's a member of my show, but he um, he's a politician, but he's, you know, he's okay. He's a good one. She was a little skeptical about any political being. He was what, and in the state Senate at that time? He was running for attorney general. Oh, he was already running for attorney general. Okay. Yeah, at that point he was running. And so she said, I'd like to introduce you to him. And she didn't know him that well, but she knew him as a member of Michelle, et cetera. So I thought, okay, I'm going up. I went up to her house for Shabbat, and Joe came over and met me. And then he said, oh, would you like to go out Saturday night? So he and I said, okay. And he said, 
well, I have a campaign fundraiser. I'm not going to be done until about 11 o'clock. Welcome, welcome will, to my world. Yeah, I'll pick you up um, after Shabbat, and you can drive up with me to that event. And I'm thinking, I said to Joe, I said, well, how do I introduce myself? Oh, as my driver. <laughs> no, that was great. I thought this, this as you say, my entry into the political exactly. world. Exactly. Yeah, welcome to my world of politics. Was the was the wedding in Agudah it, Shalom? We went to, yeah, that's where he was going. Shout out to, sh- shout but, out to but, our friends in Stanford then, I would guess. No, no, it wasn't Agudah Shalom. That was in Stanford. Right. We were in New Haven. We went to, um, it was Westville. Synagogue, but I, you know, that's no, not I, What I, am I talking about? I was in Riverdale. Don't confuse. Right, but me. I, but I was asking if your wedding to him was in a good show. Yes, my wedding. That's why I was giving a special shout out to our friends in Stanford. <laughs> Oh yeah, we, we know we know how good we know how good show them very well. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're very special, and we had a you know, and Joe's been there. His whole, you know, he's right. been there his whole life sure. until he went to New Haven. Amazing. Hadassah Lieberman is with us. Um, and then, of course, he uh, wins that race for attorney general, and then he has that incredible victory over Lowell Weicker to become a senator. And he, he starts gaining a reputation nationwide as being one of the nicest people in the United States um, uh-huh. uh, Senate. I mean, there's, I mean, whoever met him that didn't like him, frankly. And I have to ask you, and I know that you can, it's not fair for you to speak on his behalf, especially on this, but you can give us a little bit of an insight in, in April of 2021. The, the atmosphere in Washington today must be killing him. It must be killing him because I, I view him as somebody who just wants to get along with everybody and respect the political position and the opinion of those across the aisle. Absolutely. You've described Joe perfectly. And, you know, he gets in, he used to get into little uh, trouble when he did that because some people just don't get that and that that's what it takes to run a government and to do joint compromising legislation. So what Joe sees today is he's chairman of, a group, no labels, which is working hard to pull people together, leaders, political leaders. It's critical that they have problem. They call themselves problem solvers in in Congress Boy. Uh, that are part of the no labels organization. You know, you and, know. yeah. Go no, ahead. no, I was going to say I'm glad it exists because boy, oh, boy, do we so, need that today? Oh, do we need it? And we just need it in general. There's too much division in our society. Some people don't sit down at the same table and talk to people that don't have their views politically or religiously, for that matter. We divide it. You know, there's so many parts of your book I enjoyed, but there there are a couple of important stories in your book that are, are just you're gonna you're gonna laugh. I think that I found this to be such a uh, a key part of of what you tell us uh, through the book. Um, you talk about nine eleven, and obviously everyone has a nine eleven story. And in your position, you know, <laughs> being closely related to somebody who's a real decision maker in the country at that time, you can imagine. Right. You know, you had certain insight that none of us had. But you're out of town. You got to get back to. You're in Texas. You got to get back to New York, and you end up in a cab. What it sounds like. We don't have to go through the details. People can read it in the book. 
with, with with you know people who are driving back to New York. Obviously, people you don't know there. You know, it's it's a cab driver taking you and your associate back, and you get to know them obviously because it's a long journey. <laughs> and and by the end of the trip, you're inviting them for a tour of Washington D.C. And I just felt it was significant because again, you and your husband are so out there when it comes to the importance of communicating with others. These are people from completely different backgrounds than yours, but by the end of this drive, you feel a kinship uh, to them. And I and I also and then and then you toss in the story which I found fascinating of inauguration day when President George W was you know eventually inaugurated and obviously uh, Al Gore and your husband, you know, w- w- did not win that race officially at the end. And then Friday night mm-hmm. you find yourself in the Gore home right? If I have this right, you find yourself in the yeah. home for a, what I guess was a Shabbat dinner, essentially, right? It's a Friday night, essentially. It's Shabbat. And they go ahead and they shut their phones, their Blackberries, yeah. because right. they know that you and Joe would not dare touch your phone on a Friday night. And I'm saying to myself, my God, what a country we're in. What a country we're in. So the exact opposite of what your parents had in terms of the atmosphere of, of neighbors and, and associates, that the that the almost vice, that the almost president of the United States, who hours before uh, realized he's not going to be president of the United States, that this becomes a priority for him on Friday night with the respect and the courtesy that he shows you, I thought was remarkable. Well, you know that story. I'm so glad you told that. What happened was, you know, that was that awful time where decisions weren't being made about the votes. Remember that whole mm-hmm. thing with Florida? Sure. And so Friday night, Joe was on the phone with Al Gore talking about the situation. We didn't know. We were, you know, we had no idea. Were we going to be going to the vice president's house (laughs) or will we be staying in our place? So what happened was Al Gore called back after he finished on the phone and he said to Joe, why don't you come over. So I packed my stuff for Shabbat. I can't, you know, I talk about that candlestick, all that stuff and put it in a bag and brought it over. And soon as we walk in, Joe asks for a room to Davin because it was Kimat Shabbat. Unbelievable. And he went into this room and I followed him in after and after he finished Davini, he turned around because this was Christmas time. There was a Christmas tree in the corner. And Joe came out. We went to the table. It was the Gores and Donna Brazil who stayed. The others went rushing off to all the stuff they were doing that night. And we did, you know, Shabbat, explain Shabbat and things. And then we sat there having a beautiful dinner i brought my food for shabbat <laughs> and you know paper plate whatever and so there we were with the candles lit and it was it absolutely the way you described it is true we never felt any anti-semitism at all during the campaign which is unbelievable and by and, the way and to your credit because and, and this is what i said in the intro when i first introduced you this morning obviously i mean you're campaigning you're campaigning all around the country. Campaigning means eating certain foods, 99% of which Joe is not eating. And campaigning means, you know, doing certain things, 99% of which you're not doing on Friday night and Saturday. 
and, right. and and you never made a big deal about it. You'd think this would be a national story. You'd think there would be, you know, a Twitter feed that'd be paying attention to every little thing you are and are not doing on Shabbos, and you just never made a big deal about it. You never did anything to call attention to anything, never made someone feel uncomfortable because of what our tradition heritage tells us, which I thought was just... If someone had to be the Orthodox nominee for Vice President of the United States, Joe Lieberman was the right person. (laughs) You know... It's amazing because I remember so many stories. Also, our first Shabbat, we were in Wisconsin. That's where we assigned to go. And I'll never forget the Lubavitch rabbi came from just, you know, a little bit of a distance to bring our Friday night dinner, Shabbat lunch before Shabbat. And I said, Rabbi, thank you so much. What can I do to repay you? And he said, you can ask the young woman who's your advanced person to light the Shabbat (gasps) candle. Oh, my gosh. You know, she happened to be Jewish. She happened to be from a home in Florida that it wasn't religious. But asking her to do that touched her. It touched me. You know, those are the moments. And those are the kinds of things that, and then on some Shabbats, we were able to bring our children together and our mothers and, you know, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, very special in that way. And don't forget, there was no Twitter. Right, right. People weren't doing, telling you everything. Now everybody tells you everything and it's not all right. Right. I, 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 yeah, I was exaggerating when I said there was, you know, why there was no Twitter feed. Of course there was no Twitter, but even today, I think the two of you would have been able to have handled it. Obviously, again, with social media, it would have been different. But still, the dignity that you handled everything with was just amazing. Uh, the forward is written by a gentleman named Joe Lieberman, folks. He writes the forward to the book. He's got a lot of positive and wonderful things to say about the author. And and, Meg- <laughs> and Megan McCain, and we know that the Liebermans and the McCains were, yeah, not Jewish, by the way, the McCains. Nonetheless, they were yeah. very close and had tremendous admiration yeah. for each other. Megan writes a beautiful afterword. And um, and uh, I'm highly recommend. I didn't even we didn't even talk about your whole opinion on what's going on immigration wise, etc. Because obviously your story is one of immigration success. Uh, here's what I bet, and I know we're, we're I'm running out of time here, and I apologize. But here's yes, what I, 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 I assume, knowing you, that you are very pro immigration and know how this country was built. But you also yeah. want you also want responsible, law abiding legalized people coming into the country and i think that the the chaos that's happening today and the and the you know sh- on one side and shut the doors on the other i have a feeling you're you're somewhere responsibly in the middle on this issue oh absolutely look i'm a great believer in immigration obviously this was the country the shores of which open to immigrants yeah. open to those of us who needed a place to go At the same time, we have to make sure that the rules and regulations that are valid are looked at and used to make sure that our country continues as the home of the free and the brave. I'll never forget my mother coming close to the Statue of Liberty. She was telling me Emma Lazarus's words. Right. Just got into her. So, look, we're all immigrants. No question about it. We are all immigrants. 
Finally, you know what I have to ask you. I have no choice. I, I, I and I'm sure you anticipated this. Yeah. So does Joe know at this point that in your own house he will always be vice president? <laughs> and I, uh, and I, yeah. and, and you, oh. and, and you know, and I, I don't even know if you started that joke, but you know that the whole world tells it, right? <laughs> I know. Oh God, you know, you, I have to laugh, but you know what? I've been raised in the traditional way, so. There's a little truth in that about <laughs> my behavior at home, but that's so funny. It's so you funny. By the way, on a serious note, it's funny you say that because the other day, you know, I mean, I come from a family where my father was a really powerful, distinguished rabbi, as people know, mm-hmm. but the home was always my mother's. She was in charge of that. If it was a house issue, he deferred to her home. <laughs> he deferred to her, and the, and I think there's something to say about that. That that's the presidential domain of the of the Jewish uh, mother, Jewish homemaker. Oh, yeah. But today it's changed a little bit here and there. <laughs> yeah, that's know. true. That's true. I know. <laughs> that is true. And you've got listeners coming from all places. So no we question. support them all, right? No question about it. Everyone's got their thing, and we uh, all we ask is that they handle their lives in responsible manners and represent our people well, as you have done. An absolute delight to speak with you. The book is called Hadassah, An American Story, written by Hadassah Lieberman. I can assume it's available everywhere at this point? Yes, it's and on Internet, you know, all yeah. the usual places. And, sweetie, listen, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your wonderful program, and thank you for taking the time to review my book. I really appreciated this interview. Well, my pleasure. And I always remind your husband that the day that he took over uh, first place in the poll against Lowell Weicker was a day that he was a guest at our show. So I hope I hope that, that this interview brings you the same luck it brought him. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. And my best everyone, okay? Thank you so much, Hadassah. Hadassah Lieberman, everybody. It's a Brandeis University Press book. It is called Hadassah, An American Story, written by the great Hadassah Lieberman. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Just amazing. More coming up. You're listening to a Tuesday morning edition of JM in the AM. <laughs> 